This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. One question I have for you, Labs, that we need to address before we get started with Steelers Nation's questions. The rumor that's spreading around iHeart. You were the one that taught Cassius Marsh that high leg kick while he was here with the Steelers for a short time. Is that correct? I can't. Can you corroborate I, that story? I could corroborate that I haven't touched my toes in 10 years. So if I tried to do a leg kick like that, you would hear my hamstrings snapping like guitar strings. All right. Well, I think you've addressed that rumor as swimmingly as you can. Let's get into a new batch of questions for this edition of Asked and Answered. We start with Bill Hammond from Verona, Pennsylvania. There was a submission in a previous Asked and Answered about place kickers being unable to take a hit. Sometimes they have to make a tackle to negate a long return. Didn't Roy Jarella make a tackle in Super Bowl X that affected his play the rest of that game? Uh, yes, that is accurate. It happened on the opening kickoff. Um, Hollywood Henderson, they, the, the Cowboys received the opening kickoff and they ran in reverse. Hollywood Henderson took the handoff from Drew Pearson and he ran 53 yards up the sideline. Roy Jarella knocked him out of bounds. That injured his ribs. Mm. So then Jarella went on in that game to miss field goals of 36 and 37 yards, and he missed one of two extra points in the game. And let's not forget, in 1975, which was uh, the end of the season that end or the season that ended with Super Bowl 10, uh, extra points you kicked you know, the balls at the two yard line. line, right? Um, so uh, yeah. Uh, the fact that Jarella was put in that position, though, in the first place, to have to make a tackle uh, was in, an indictment of the kickoff coverage unit. I mean, both uh, Mike Tomlin or Mike Tomlin has said, you know, a few times, uh, I asked him once about, um, you know, Boswell, um, you know, having him just run off the field on a kickoff because we all know that the Steelers lost Sean Sweezum, uh, his career ended, uh, on a knee injury in that Hall of Fame game Can't, when they were playing yeah. on that high school field, and he made a tackle uh, on a kickoff at first of five preseason games. You know, what is he even doing there? Right. You know, Danny Smith even said afterwards, he said, I told him, I don't need you to make tackles. Don't worry about This isn't even a game that counts right. in the standings. So um, that's an indictment. When, when your kicker is making tackles, that's an indictment of the special teams coordinator. And in 1975, you know who that was? Chuck Knoll. Chuck Knoll. How about that? Boz has been taking his fair share of licks the past couple weeks. Yeah. Thank, thank God he nailed his fifty couple 50-yarders in the 40-yarder against the yeah. Bears. And that's what he gets paid to do, not make tackles. Exactly. John Ori from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, asks a very specific question. What are Greg Lloyd's stats during his career with the Steelers? Okay, Greg Lloyd played... Uh, Sixth-round pick, by the way, when when you were talking about great six-round picks yeah. in franchise history, the uh, it automatically goes to Antonio Brown. Greg Lloyd was a sixth-round pick, right. too. Um, anyway, he played 131 regular season games in 10 seasons. He started 125. So he had 727 tackles, 53-and-a-half sacks, 11 interceptions, 34 forced fumbles, and 16 fumble recoveries. Lloyd was voted to five Pro Bowls, was voted first team All-Pro all three straight times, 94, 95, no, excuse me, 93, 94, 95. 
and first team all pro is as i've mentioned 11 guys were on the defense That's the elite it. of the elite right the elite there. of the elite i was talking to ed bouchette the other day who uh was then still is now the steelers or the pittsburgh representative to the hall of fame right. board of selectors uh he said had lloyd not gotten injured in 1996 he definitely would have come before the board for discussion uh, for induction into the Hall of Fame. That's how good that guy was. Great Steelers career for Greg Lloyd, nonetheless. Darren Fike from Colorado Springs, Colorado asks, prior to the start of offensive plays, I have noticed that frequently the wide receivers turn toward the official on the sideline and appear to be motioning toward them asking them something. Are they in fact doing that? Are they asking if they are lined up on sides? If so, doesn't it seem strange that an official would be allowed to give that type of feedback? Uh, actually, no. It's it's uh, not strange, and that is exactly what is happening. Well, what Darren uh, asked, yes, and officials will tell you if you ask, um, they will say no. You're a little if you're supposed to be, because with receivers sometimes they're supposed to be on the line, sometimes they're supposed to be in the backfield, and so receivers can uh, ask. Uh, and the uh, onside official, whoever it is, you usually will will tell them. Uh, and offensive linemen sometimes can look and ask because sometimes um, offensive tackles will get penalized. Well, actually, the, the uh, penalty will be illegal formation. Right. Uh, but what it, how it uh, comes about is the offensive tackle is too far into the backfield, and so they will usually there. There are things that officials will warn you. Even holding sometimes, they will say, uh, next time I'm going to call that. You know, you had your hands too far outside or whatever. Because the idea is not for it to be a gotcha situation. NFL games are better if there are fewer penalties called. And so, yes, there will be some good officials. Let me say it this way. Good officials will sometimes warn players about uh, conduct that will get them flagged the next time. Defensive backs. Hey, uh, 24, you're getting a little handsy there. Or, hey, you know, whatever. Um, you, you're hitting them. you, you got to um, end the contact with the receiver a little quicker. You're getting too close to the five yards beyond the line of scrimmage thing. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you those kinds of things. Yeah, contrary to a lot of people's popular beliefs, the refs aren't out to get any specific team in the NFL. Good okay. ones. Good ones aren't out to get, get any yeah. specific or, team. Or to make a lot of uh, – uh, make a lot of uh, calls, unless right. unless you're a Hockley relative. Fewer then, calls, of course, the better. Then you're in love with the sound of your voice over the <laughs> stadium microphone. Steve Keister from Kinnelan, New Jersey. What are some examples of Steelers who have turned down bigger money elsewhere to stay in Pittsburgh? Well, I mean, there's there, there could be a lot of examples of this, and I'm not really privy to all of them because a lot of times, you know, negotiations are conducted out of the public eye. The Steelers do not... Um, comment on negotiations and a lot of times agents don't feel that it's in their best interest to be broadcasting that hey you know I got less money for my um, client than he got could have gotten some job poorly (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so um, but I do know for a fact Jerome Bettis uh, when he was acquired in a trade by the Steelers in 1996 on draft day he had a voidable year in his rookie contract that would have that was going to make him an unrestricted free agent after that season, before the 97 season, if he hit certain incentives regarding performance. 
And that 96 season, you know, he hit them all. So Bettis going into the 97 uh, season in the 97 offseason was unrestricted. Uh, his mother, uh, Gladys Bettis, was instrumental in convincing her son to stay in Pittsburgh because he had been treated so poorly by the Rams. Right. And the fan, fans were against, generally against Bettis. Uh, they thought he was a malcontent, a, you know, a troublemaker, an egomaniac, all that kind of stuff. And he was, he immediately became beloved in Pittsburgh. He was a, a big part of the Steelers franchise. Bill Cowher made it apparent that he was going to be, you know, the focal point of the offense. And so Bettis could have gotten more money uh, going to the highest bidder in 1997, but he decided not to. And then there were other times later on in his career that he took salary cuts to stay, you know, when for some unknown reason the Steelers became enamored with Tommy Maddox and that brand of football. So uh, I will say Bettis for sure. Uh, There also were reports that Juju Smith-Schuster took less money uh, to stay with the Steelers this season, 2021, than he could have gotten from the Ravens. But those are just reports. I don't know for a fact whether that's true or not. Uh, but I throw him in, Juju in as well, just because he's a recent example. All-time great move by the Rams to try to move Jerome Bettis to fullback. I mean, just brilliant foresight from well, him there. And then they ran him out of town because they, you know, they wanted to make the feature back. Lawrence Phillips. Remember Who? you? Who? <laughs> exactly. Who? Does he have a gold you, jacket? You talk. Canton? You talk about a bad guy. Talk about a bad actually, decision all around actually from the Rams. To, and actually thank went you for that. Actually went to prison, so I, I think that constitutes a pretty bad guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Paul Thomas from Penn Hills, Pennsylvania, asks: Can you please explain the new wild card playoff scenario? Is it possible for all four teams in a division to make the playoffs, with one as the division winner, obviously, and the other three as wild cards? Um, the 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 new playoff uh, format is no different than the old playoff format. Uh, the only thing is there's one more team now that's eligible for the playoffs. The, all of the division winners automatically qualify, and then um, that's four. So then there's three more teams per conference that get in as wild cards. Uh, that's based on records and or tiebreakers or whatever. Uh, it's the same tiebreakers, the same system. Uh, and there, So it doesn't really matter what divisions they're in. You can't have four teams from the same division, excuse me, to make the playoffs. I'm not saying it will happen, but there's a possibility that the AFC North can get four teams in, at least the way the standings are shaking down right now. Yeah, but usually when things all shake out at the end, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's, it sounds good and looks likely often earlier, but it never really seems to work out that way. Zach Raves from Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't understand why a team wanting to sign a release player has to absorb their previous contract. If the money isn't guaranteed and the player is released for cause, wouldn't that void the contract, allowing a different team to negotiate a completely new deal? Well, okay, this, this comes down to a, uh, the way the NFL designates uh, released players. Um, if, you're on, if you're put on waivers then teams can claim you, and they uh, when they claim you, then you your contract comes with that player. If you're cut and you're an unrestricted free agent, then a team can um, negotiate with you uh, for whatever 
is acceptable under the collective bargaining agreement. I mean, they can't pay you, you know, twelve twenty-five an hour or anything <laughs> because there are minimum salaries uh, set based on years of service in the league. But outside of that, you can negotiate whatever you want. Now, after the trading deadline, also, even a vested veteran who at other times of the NFL calendar when he would be released would be an unrestricted free agent, now they're subject to to the waiver system because what the league doesn't want is say, let's just pretend that I'm I'm not, you know, indicting anyone, but let's just say um, a Bill a former Bill Belichick assistant is a head coach at another team, and Bill Belichick's team needs a um, center. So his former assistant. If the if the, the waiver system wasn't in place at this time of this year, could they could cut a side deal, and he'd say, "Hey, I'm going to cut this guy. Yeah, um, you can sign him for the Super Bowl run, and then, you know, I'll get him back or whatever. You know, whatever after right. the season, because we're not going to make the playoffs anyway. It's protection against collusion, right? From right. around the league. Yes. So this way, if you cut Tom Brady. He has to go through waivers, and there's probably going to be a team that claims them. One or two. One or I two. think one or two might submit a claim for that. David Bogner from Germantown, Wisconsin. If you had to put together an all-time Steelers front four, who would you put next to Joe Green at tackle? Would it be Ernie Stoutner, Casey Hampton, or Cam Hayward? Well, I can say I, I may be old, but I'm not old enough to have ever seen Ernie Stoutner play. Um, but there are some things – about his career that I have read that um, certainly uh, make him uh, a great player, Hall of Famer, first player in franchise history to have his jersey retired, played a long time, played in a lot of Pro Bowls. Um, But I'm going to go with uh, Cam Hayward only because I've seen him play more uh, games, I've been around him more, know what kind of impact he has on this team. You know, from what I understand, Ernie Stautner was also a leader slash example in his day. But as I said again, I have no personal experience with any of that. Um, there also is one um, historical marker uh, that I believe kind of helps my case for Cam Hayward. In franchise history, there are only two interior defensive linemen uh, Steelers who have ever been voted first team all pro. We talked about that earlier. First team all pro more than once. Joe Green is one. Cam Hayward is the other. And so when, in my mind, Ernie Stockner was a tough guy. Um, but it just seems to me that if I'm going to put together a unit that I want to be loaded with badasses, yeah, Cam and Joe Green, I'll go with those two. I've got a sneaking suspicion that he's going to add another All-Pro to first-team All-Pro to his resume after the season Cam's having this year. He might even add a Defensive Player of the Year award the way he's going right now. Um, I think again the only thing, and I'm not saying he's un- not deserving for the Defensive Player of the Year, but that's a media-voted thing, and the 100% numbers agree. the numbers are just ridiculous with some of the other guys. In terms of you know, look at T.J. Watt's I was say, stats, including his own teammate, yeah. Right. So um, I think that's a long shot. But again, I'm just saying, talking about it in terms of being voted not deserving. David Kitlack from Ericsville, Ohio. 
I know you are not a fan of instant replay. Right. And neither am I in most situations. The fact is, it's not going away. My main issue with it is how long it can take for them to review a play from all angles, slow it down, look at it again. In my opinion, if it takes more than two minutes to review, then there is not enough evidence to overturn a call and it should stand. Would you be in favor of, or has a rule been proposed, to implement a time limit on video review? You know, once upon a time, uh, Dave, there actually was, um, uh, let's call it an unwritten rule. I thought so. That 90 seconds yeah. was supposed to be the time limit uh, on a replay review. Now, but th- it never got to the point where, you know, they put the number up on the scoreboard and count it down and then blow a horn or something, you know, like the, you would at a basketball game to signal the end of a quarter in the NBA or the end of a half uh, in college basketball. So, you know, the 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 rule just kind of went away. It was never uh, enforced, and it just disappeared. I, I, I cannot see a realistic scenario where that comes back uh, because now you've got to have New York involved. Yeah. So uh, let's just stick with uh, your first sentence there, Dave. I know you are not a fan of instant replay, and neither am I. Yes. Well said. Steve Barrero from Daytona Beach, Florida. During a recent Mike Tomlin's news conference, he was asked whether the recent success running the football and protecting Ben Roethlisberger may have resulted in a growth of confidence among the young offensive linemen. Tomlin answered, quote, I'm not looking for confidence. I don't know what I was looking. I don't know that I was looking for lack of confidence when we weren't. They're professionals. They're capable I proceed with the understanding that these guys know that they can play, and we know that they can play. We don't waste a lot of time talking about confidence or lack thereof. At this level, you just better have it, end quote. Didn't Chuck Knoll have a similar quote about motivation? Uh, yes. Chuck Knoll was uh, the anti-Bill Cower when it came to <laughs> you know, motivating. Uh, he didn't believe in it. Uh, Andy Russell always told the story of Chuck Knoll um, saying to the team, uh, he would tell you, I'm quoting Andy Russell, Chuck would tell you, my job is to teach you how to play this game correctly. I will never give you a motivational speech. If I have to motivate you, I will fire you. Powerful stuff right there. You, yeah. you, that'll keep you motivated in a way, honestly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, Threatening the job like that. Finally, Jason Godfrey from Anori, South Carolina asks, Najee Harris wins Offensive Rookie of the Month. Are there bonuses for these type of recognition, like the Steelers Digest Player of the Week and so on? <laughs> you give 50 bucks to someone you pick as Player of the Week? Um, only if they take it out of your pay. <laughs> then no. And the answer, Jason, is no. We're not giving um, bonuses. Yeah, not, there are no financial considerations you know, attached to winning you know, Offensive Rookie of the Month, uh, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, I'm the person who picks – the Steelers Digest Player of the Week, and I once considered, you know, having the award for that being a guest slot doing Asked and Answered, um, but that was quickly shot down by the NFLPA. Uh, they threatened me with an unfair labor practice charge, and then I thought, well, maybe I can get them to do this podcast, and they said, we're not working with Tom. We're not. That work- makes sense. We're not working with him. He is just too intimidating, um, so we're not going to do that either. So there you go. I just love the idea of the NFLPA having Bob Labriola's name written down as someone on their crap list. Like, this guy, I can't believe it. Well, 
I'm on a lot of those lists, I think. What's one more? <laughs> Jason, I would like to add, too, if Najee keeps going the way he is, he won't have any financial problems <laughs> later down the road. That dude's going to get paid. That'll do it for this episode of Asked and Answered. As always, we appreciate you giving us a listen. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opferman, and we will be back again next week.